So last week we started a series called Hazards, and the reasons we are going through this series is not to make life a burden, not to throw a bunch of law and rule on you. The reason Scripture tells us to obey the commands of God as Christians is not only that He may be glorified, which, by the way, is a good enough reason. Living good lives so that God will be glorified is a very good reason to live moral, ethical, um, good lives. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not so they'll pat you on the back and say, Hey, what a good person you are, but so that it'll go right through you and God will be glorified. So we are meant to live good lives, holy lives, obedient lives, so that people will see through us and, and, and perhaps in us see the goodness of God, but also, and scripture does not shy away from this idea, obedience brings blessing. Because in the same way that there, and we talked about this last week, the same way there are natural laws that you you can disagree with all you want, you're always going to lose against gravity. It doesn't matter how much you disagree with it. It will always beat you, okay? There are spiritual laws that work the same way. And if you push against them, you will find disaster and you will find pain. That is why over and over in the Old Testament, when God is, is explaining his, his laws for living, that he, he, he gives these laws so that it may go well with you over and over. Deuteronomy 4.40, you shall keep his statutes, his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land and the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Deuteronomy 12.28, be careful to obey all the words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Many of us know that when uh, adults have, parents have done things that are, that are against God's will, it has trickled down to the children and it has ended up not going well for the children because the parents have not obeyed the laws of God. Jeremiah seven twenty three. but this command I, I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may go well with you. God's law is a blessing. It is not a curse or a burden. These are promises that I've read specifically to the Hebrew nation in the Old Testament, but Paul has no problem applying them to Christians in Ephesians 6.3. He quotes the very thing after he's gone through this whole list of how we ought to live sexual, how our sexual lives ought to be framed, how we ought to uh, live in kids in obedience to parents, all these other things. He says, I'm telling you this so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, And it is our plea, my plea, <laughs> the leadership of this church, uh, God's plea to place guardrails in your lives. Live as wise people who walk carefully, Paul says, as we looked at last week in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Who understand that a life lived without consideration of, of the real and very present areas of danger can often lead to regret. Regret because of damage done to our families, our marriages, our, our, our work, our bodies. And, and, and of course also our emotional and spiritual lives because we had not set strong warning signs in our hearts and mind. Now I also mentioned this last week. That when it comes to hazard signs or, or guardrails, guardrails are not set just right on the edge of the cliff. It's not like just halfway down the cliff, a few feet in. They're well away from the danger. Feet before 
yards before you'll actually hit the side of a cliff or a ditch. Um, the years back, I've mentioned this before, year, in 2008 actually, Lelaney and I were in Israel and we parked the, the uh, tourist bus and we were walking a pathway to these, these ruins around the Sea of Galilee. And as we were walking, there was this fence that said, don't climb fence, landmines are on the other side of this fence. I'm very happy that that's the way they decided to do it. I would not have wanted to walk and then see a sign that says, you're surrounded by landmines. I want to be protected from those landmines. And I want, I want a barrier well ahead of where the danger is. That is logical. But very often in our spiritual lives, we don't take the same steps. Safety comes from setting up warnings in our hearts and our minds well in advance. And so today I want to talk specifically about dangerous relationships. And this is not a honing in on individuals. This is all of us. This is something we need to guard if we want to walk holy lives and lives dedicated to Jesus Christ. We need to guard our hearts from dangerous relationships. Now, many of us would say, well, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, relationships that make me feel bad about myself, and when I have f- friends who, who always talk down to me and always judge me, that is toxic for me, and I need to stay away from that. Yes, you do. That's not what I'm talking about. Far more concerning to me, far more concerning to Paul, I would say to Jesus, is that we're, very, we're extremely comfortable in some of our relationships, we hang out with people and, and environments where we are completely comfortable and we shouldn't be. <laughs> we, we should have had guardrails well before. I'm going to invite you to stand and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians, sorry, I said first, did I? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I'm going to read through to verse 18. This is the word of God to us this morning. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God's word to us. This morning, God of grace, I pray you will speak to us through your word. I pray that you would animate obedience in us, that you would open our eyes to this beautiful narrative, this wonderful story of belonging that comes with following Jesus Christ. And that we would want, in our hearts and minds, we want, would want to settle for nothing less than more of Jesus. So if that means shaking things off, of pushing things out of the way through the power of your spirit, I pray you would speak to us this morning and we would, we would walk in obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Our first inclination when we hear... Paul say, do not be unequally yoked, is to push back in defense and say, well, I need to be friends with the world. 
obviously. You can't live lives without being friends with the world. Doesn't the Bible say we need to be in the world and not of the world? Or how are we going to reach the world if we're not part of the world? Of course you do, blah, 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 yes. Okay? We work, we live, we dwell with the world. We, we live, we work, we dwell, we communicate, we, uh, we're related to people who see the world drastically different than you and I do. What Paul is saying here, and I want to drive home this morning, is that there are certain relationships that you and I as Christ followers simply have no business belonging to. Have no business emotionally being connected with people in these ways. Paul's saying, do not be dragged along by relationship, relationships with non-believers. There, there are certain types of relationships, re- the relationships, not people, there are certain types of relationships that we need to be running from, Paul tells us. It's the way we relate. Paul says in this text that certain relationships will, will cause us to deny our new nature in Christ. They will replace our center where Christ ought to be, and they will move us away from Christ, our first love. First, these kinds of relationships can deny our new nature in Christ. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And maybe I'll I'll add, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers or Christians who act like unbelievers, who have no interest of, of keeping Christ at the center of their lives. What does it mean to be yoked? I mean, it's just, it's a word we use all the time, right? Of course, we, I knew we wouldn't, I wouldn't be unequally yoked ever. <laughs> Hashtag, what's he talking about? Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know what a yoke is, a yoke is basically a, a wooden beam that would hold two beasts of burden together. We have a, a, a shot here of, of two, two oxen um, that are, are yoked together. And, uh, and we would say they're equally yoked. Two oxen, or uh, I think they're oxen, um, <laughs> two animals, beasts of burden, same size. Now, this is unequally yoked, okay? You got there before me, but that's all right. This is unequally yoked. Um, although the donkey is taller, the donkey will not work as hard, does not have the strength as the, the animal to the left. There's going to be some very big problems with the plowing that goes on with this, with, with this kind of a yoke, this kind of unequal Yoke. In fact, God even lays it down for the, the, the Jews in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. He says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. So he's like, I'm, I, I, you're probably going to have this idea. Don't do it. Okay, just go with, with two ox. Even two donkeys would be better, but don't go unequally yoked. Why? Because you want to go at the same pace. You want to work together. You want to go in the same direction in order to get the job done. Now, if, if an ox is, is hooked to a slower or a smaller ox or, or with a, a donkey, that donkey is going to go wherever that ox goes. I mean, he might fight it for a while, but eventually he's going to get tired and he's just going to go, okay, just wherever you want to go. And there's just going to be these four tracks just going across the, the, the farm or wherever it, it's going on, right? So what Paul is saying is that in our relationships, when we are unequally yoked, this is not just marriage, this is used to talk about marriage, but this is not just about marriage, it's about all our relationships. When we are unequally yoked, when we are connected emotionally with those who do not see themselves in the same narrative as as Christ followers, if you call yourself a Christ follower, we find ourselves moving at a different pace, in a different direction, and with a different purpose than those we're connecting ourselves to. Years ago, um, the church staff went on a tandem bike ride. 
around Stanley Park. And every 10 minutes, we would change who we were doing a tandem bike ride with. And some people knew how to use brakes too much. Some people didn't know how to use brakes at all. Some people were scared and anxious and going like this. And you're in their control. And it didn't matter who I switched with. I was always scared because at times I was diametrically opposed to their choices. But I had no control over it because in a way I was yoked to them and I was going where they were going. I had no choice. Over and over in scripture we see God pleading, pleading with his people, return to me. Time after time, they, they move away to their own detriment, yoked to, attached to those things that are, had a diametrically opposing view to the walk that God was calling his people to, moving at a different pace, in a different direction, and with different purpose. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness, which we are now called, with unrighteousness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord, what kind of connection does Christ have? Belial means, means evil. What relationship can Christ have with, with evil? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Paul is saying that to connect yourself in an, in an unhealthy way to someone who has no desire, no desire to follow Jesus is to completely ignore that you belong to Jesus. That your life, your identity is caught up in Him. That you have been bought with a price, that you are His possession, that it is in Him that you have your true identity. You're basically saying, Jesus, I think we should see other people. Are we in danger of that? Now, I'll press pause here. This message, it only applies to people here who want to walk closely with Jesus. Hey, if you're content with Sunday morning, don't worry about it. If you're content with this hour, you don't have to worry about this message. If you're non-Christian, you don't, you don't have to worry about this message. If, if, if this hour is doing it for you, you're not concerned about getting any, any deeper or protecting a relationship with Jesus, that's, that's fine. But if your desire is a deep down walk with your Savior, who as Scripture says, lay down his life for his friends, then this will be important to you. Walking with those who share no desire to walk with Christ will surely walk you away from him. Let me say that again. Walking with those who share no desire to walk with Christ will surely walk you away from him. To a denial of your new nature and your new life in Christ. Secondly, I would say we need to be careful because those who do not love Jesus will, will walk at a different pace, uh, a different direction, with a different purpose. And when we do that, there's always a danger that we will be tempted to replace our center. We will be, we will be in danger of replacing Jesus at our center. In verse 16 and 17, it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God, they will be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will, I will welcome you. We are quick to allow our hearts and minds to wander when we forget that we are what Scripture calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. John preached this quite a while back. I love the way he said it, our own Pastor John. He said, uh, we are many walking, talking temples. If you are a Christian filled with the Spirit of God, we are many walking, talking temples. God is tabernacling 
tabernacling within us. The triune God is living within the Christian. So how then ought we to live? Now, in ancient times, when they would build a temple, they would they would build the foundations, they would build, put the pillars up, they put the roof on, they would say, do some sacrifices, they would pray over it, and then they would put a, a copy of the deity in the center of the temple. And that temple belonged to Saturn, or that temple belonged to Hermes, and they would place an image of those gods in the middle. Paul is saying, you are the temple of God. Whatever temple you used to be, Whatever used to to reside in your heart, if you are a Christ follower, Christ is now residing at the center of this temple. And when you decide to be unequally yoked, you are in danger of removing Christ from the center of his own temple and defacing it and defiling it and putting another God in his place. And if you haven't done it yet, you're in danger of, of doing that. So do not be unequally yoked. Don't ignore your new identity. Don't remove Christ from the center of your hearts. Being unequally yoked also means that we are in danger of moving away from our first love. Of this this connection. So it's not just, it's just not this cognitive idea that we've removed Christ. It's that we're our heart and our affections are being slowly moved away from Christ, or at least in danger of that. We'll be drawn to something else, something less, that promises so much but delivers short, unfulfilling payoffs, yet somehow gets its hooks in us and continues to pull at us. So we always tend to say, well, if it's not working, it's because I'm not doing it enough and I'm not doing it often enough. Right? Anyone who's suffered from addiction will know that. Any of us who have, tried, who have tried to put anything in place of Christ will know that. Well, this isn't working for me. It's not making me happy anymore, so I'll just do it more often, and I'll do it to a higher degree. It doesn't work. It promises much and delivers little. Paul says, therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Stay away from it. God says, then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. And isn't that what we're after? Isn't that what we want to be? Isn't isn't it the promise that we would be the children of the living God that John talks about in the beginning of his gospel? Isn't that what drew many of us to come to Christ? I can be called a child of the living God and have the righteousness and the benefit and, and all that it means to be an heir. I can have all that. That's why many of us were drawn to Jesus Christ. Do we want to put that in jeopardy? A community's worldview will always rub off on the individual. It will seldom happen the other way if we're willing to give up these aspects in our lives. I've experienced this in my own life. We take on the community we hang out with. Our language changes over time. The things that make us laugh change over time. The things we watch, maybe the things we put in our body. If we don't put up guardrails, if we don't put up warning signs, we will often find ourselves slowly shifting into other areas. We, We take on the community we surround ourselves with. And it can be subtle. But an unchecked heart which has attached its identity and its joy and its acceptance on those moving at a different pace, in a different direction, and for a different purpose, we will find a shift that happens in our heart. And it can be to a small degree, but as you travel down that road, it moves further and further off. 
And the desire and the hope of God is that you, you come to the realization earlier than, than many have in the past. That you would come to the realization before things crumble. You come to the point of, of King David in Psalm 51 saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. I don't know what I've done with this one. But create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. If they, I've, things have got off kilter. I've, I've gone off to be, replace, re, get me back on the right track. Don't cast me out of your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I need you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Don't let go of me. I'm prone to let go of you. Don't let go of me. Focus my heart. Clean my heart. Hold me tight to yourself and stir in me a desire for more of you. Be not unequally yoked. God says, so that I can father you. Not, not a name only. He says, I'll be your father, but you're going to be my, my daughters and my sons. See, Paul, Paul's tone is not about laying down the law, it's, it's pastoral, it's fatherly advice of him trying to protect. It's like, it's proverb-like warning for you and I. It's out of love and it's out of concern. Protect your heart. Protect where you attach your heart. Just don't do this. Don't, don't put in jeopardy all that Jesus has invited you to. Now, how, how do we know? How do we know that some of the relationships that maybe we're in have maybe grabbed our heart a little more than they ought to? How do we know that we're drifting down a road that could get us in danger? Or maybe we've, we've walked well past the guardrails. <laughs> and some of us do that. Well part, past the guardrails. Maybe we've just, maybe this week we just, just walked by a little bit. And we're just going to see, we're just going to look and see when the danger hits. So that seems all right so far. Okay. That might be for some. Some of us, maybe we've gone way past. So how do we know? How do we know if the, the community we find ourselves spending our Friday nights with is, is unequal or, or, is, or is, is dangerous? How about the online community we spend our times with? How, how do we know if that's pulling us away from where we ought to be? Removing Christ from the center, removing us from our first love. I would suggest that there are some important questions we can ask. Some important questions we can ask to, you know, once in a while you're supposed to test your fire alarm, make sure the batteries are working. These are, I'm going to ask three questions that will help us test the batteries in our alarm. Okay? Important questions. Good way of testing if everything's functioning properly and whether or not maybe we need to take some precautions. The first one is this. Alarms should sound when you realize that your core group of influence is moving in a, directions, in a direction you don't want your life to move in. Alarm should sound when you realize that your core group of influence is moving in a direction you don't want your life to move in. The way they talk about their kids, the way they talk about their spouse, the way they talk about their boss, the way they talk about anything. The things they put in their body, you're hanging out with them all the time. You're like, I'd never do that. Is their idea of a, of a good Friday night a complete abandon of morality and responsibility? Is the way they're living, like you would say, I, I do not want to be there in five years. But I'm going to hang out with you all the time. It's dangerous. Second one, alarm should sound when you catch yourself pretending to be somebody you know you are not. Definitely something that does not line up 
with Christ as your center and your first love. Saying things, doing things that you would find yourself, that any other, any other circumstances you would not find yourself doing, but in that group, you find yourself doing it. You speak in a certain way, you're putting certain things in your body and to a certain degree that you'd never do in any other situation. If you're, if you're wondering if you're a different person when you're with them, ask your kids, ask your spouse. Some of us have heard it. You're a different person when you're with those people. Dang it. A good friend who's willing to say, yeah, you're, you're a different person when you're with those people. It's the Holy Spirit going, I love you, but come on. I don't know what you're doing there. What's that about? It's about shifting our allegiance, right? It's about shifting our allegiance for acceptance from the one who's already accepted us, who accepts us as we are, and we're saying, that's, that's good. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'd rather work really hard to find acceptance from this group who has no interest in my future, is not going at the same pace, is going in a different direction, and does not have the same purpose as I. Thank you. This is good, Jesus. Thank you for accepting me as I am. But I think we should see other people, and I'm going to strive to be accepted by this group. The last one I would suggest is this. Alarm should sound when you hope that the people you care about the most don't find out what you've been doing. Alarm should sound when you hope that the people you care about the most don't find out what you've been doing. If your work buddies met your church buddies, would there be an explosion? of confusion? Are these two realities that should never cross paths that would give you a clue that perhaps your affections are attached? Maybe you've been unequally yoked with those with whom you should not be. I can only imagine that pastoring was what much easier before social media. Because not only do I know what everyone's doing in the church, (laughs) everyone else knows what everyone's doing in the church. Did you see what they posted? Oh, to be ignorant. (laughs) Could be easier. Could be a lot easier to be a pastor that way. Facebook and Instagram give me far more information than I want. (laughs) Are we hoping that some of our relationships... Some of the influences of some of our relationships will never be seen by people in this room. Well, it's quiet now. (laughs) We worship what we love. We will devote our efforts towards our affections. So who and what are you and I pursuing? It's not easy. It's, that battle is not easy. That's why the Apostle Paul describes it as having a fight with himself. <laughs> Beating my body and making it a slave so that I stop my body from aiming and being so nailed, as one ancient pastor said, being so nailed down to this earth and forgetting the things of God and the, the glory of Christ. Because only in Christ are you accepted as you are. No need to pretend. God's son is only pushing you towards health. He's not not dragging you along to dangerous territory. 
So this could mean that for some of us, a very big decision needs to be made where we say, I, I've forgotten my, my true love. I've, I've traded out Christ for something entertaining, for something that makes me feel good for a time, alive, liberated. For some of us, there, there's maybe a big decision to be made, a, a time of confession and redirection, a, a, a rededication of our temple to the glory of Jesus Christ and long-term health for our souls. But for all of us, at least on a daily level, there needs to be a reorienting of Christ in our hearts and minds. Of saying, where, where, where have I let my affections move, dragging me away from my first love? Where are we being pulled? Where do, I, where do we need to build? We. Where do we need to, to build, repair guardrails, post some warning signs in our hearts and minds, change the battery in our alarms to make sure they're working? None of this matters. None of this matters if we're talking about philosophy. If we're talking about a philosophy, this doesn't, it doesn't matter. If we're talking about uh, an idea, if we're talking about a moral imperative, none of this matters. But if we're talking about a person... If, if we're talking about the one who laid down his life for his friends, if we're talking about the one who loves us unconditionally, then this matters. If, if we're talking about the one who died and was gloriously resurrected, this matters. It matters for those who want to know him more and walk more closely with him. In, in Luke 15, in, in the parable, parable of, the, of the prodigal son, who, who ruined his life, who walked away from everything he was blessed with and squandered it and allowed his affections to go everywhere except to where they ought to be. He finally sought forgiveness and reconciliation with his father he had sinned against. He wasn't returning to an idea. He wasn't returning to a philosophy, a better moral life. He was returning home where he belonged, where there was health to his father in in community that brought him life. He was throwing every gain he thought he had found and and throwing them out. Every every counsel, every treasure the world promised, he tossed it for the sake of returning to his father. That is the invitation of this text. To toss it all out and return to the father. Father. For what relationship is there between a friend of Jesus and those who love and worship only the God of the day? Be careful how you walk. So for some of us, this as we close this. This may mean some addition in our lives and it might mean some subtraction. It may mean in subtraction that we need to end some of our relationships before they put an end to us. That we need to put a stop to them before they do some real damage to us, before we get down a path that's going to be really hard to come back from. It may mean that for the sake of our strained relationship with Jesus, we need to cut loose those who are moving in a different pace, different direction, with a different purpose. And that is really hard to do. That's why nobody ever does it. (laughs) But for the sake of his glory, and hey, that's an important thing. 
For the sake of his glory and for our spiritual, emotional, and sometimes physical health, we need to cut some things out. And we may need to be adding to our life more community among the saints. It may, oh man, am I going to say it? Yeah, it may mean church more than once a month. It may mean getting in a life group. It may mean strategically getting together with people who are walking at the same pace, in the same direction, and for the same purpose as you are. We say this over and over at CA Church. We are not meant to walk into chaos alone. Yoke yourselves to Christ. Yoke yourselves to those who are are moving in the same direction. It may mean that there needs to be a a reattaching, a re-yoking of ourselves to Jesus Christ. And here is the, the beautiful, fundamental truth when it comes to reorienting ourselves to Christ, by reattaching ourselves to Him, by repenting and turning and re-yoking ourselves to Christ, there is never any convincing to be done. God is never waiting for you with His foot tapping and His arms crossed and goes, let me hear it. Convince me. That's, That's the story of the prodigal son. Father can't wait. The father embarrassingly and without... You know, any concern about how ridiculous he looked pulls up his, so he can run, pulls up his robes and runs towards his son. That is the story of you and I reorienting ourselves with Christ and re-yoking ourselves with Jesus Christ. When I come in repentance and a desire to connect ourselves to him, he simply points to the cross. He says, of course, of course, you are accepted The cross is our great yes of communion with God. And it's there, as we gaze and we behold the cross, we find our purpose, we find our identity, our center, our acceptance, our hope, our greatest treasure. And Paul's warning and God's warning will be turned, turn before you blast through that guardrail. Before you realize the alarm wasn't working and your house is burned down. Turn, not for burden, for relationship, for acceptance, forgiveness, for his glory and for your health. Let's pray. As we're about to focus on the cross in, 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 in communion and, and our friend and savior who laid down his life for us, I want to I invite you to take a minute to reorient yourself if need be. To behold Him. And while you behold Him and, and His light, to allow His light to examine your heart. And those, those things that your heart finds it, itself attached to, that have meant denying allegiance to him, moving from him, replacing him, and ask through the strength of the Holy Spirit to release them to him. To allow his face, his radiance to shine on you. To see in the cross the continual invitation of friendship with God. It is yours. Jesus, none of us come before you innocent in this area. We are so prone to wander. I am so prone to wander.
to, to make backroom deals with other gods and with other promises for other treasures. And so each one of us fall on your mercy and your continual invitation for forgiveness and relationship. Some of us have been careless in our relationships, perhaps slowly allowing them to drive a wedge between us and our first love and replacing you in our hearts. I pray now that you would grab hold of us firmly and that we would not resist. That this morning we would make decisions that would help us to firmly place you at our center and draw our eyes to be ever fixed on you. And Jesus, as we worship you through communion now, may the glorious story we recall in the bread and the cup give us strength and conviction and solidity in our devotion to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus, who makes friendship with the Father, relationship with the Father, the ability to be called children of the living God. You make it all possible, Jesus, and we celebrate that now through communion. Amen.